Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Loria Yanin. Loria is president and CEO of the YMCA of Greater Seattle. She has a proven record of accomplishment serving on public, private, and nonprofit boards, managing PLs, building and leading global executive teams, and catalyzing action while driving social change. Prior to the YMCA, Loria spent over 14 years serving in many strategic roles within various industries and markets, including Honeywell and Intellectual Ventures. Loria serves on the board of directors of the Lord Nairton Companies and Governor Inslee's Social Supports Leaders Advisory Group for Washington State. She is a champion and advocate for equity and justice for all, especially youth and families in marginalized communities. Loria currently lives in the Seattle area with her husband and three daughters. Welcome, Loria. Thank you. So good to be here with you. I miss you. It's been, I don't even know, a couple of years since I've seen you in person. Too long, but soon. Yeah. Soon, soon. Okay. We're going to start our podcast with some rapid fire. There's so much I want to ask you. I tried to squeeze it in with some rapid fire in the beginning. Okay. (laughs) Okay. What three words would describe your leadership style? My leadership style. I, I would hope others would say empathetic and action-oriented. I think that's a hyphenated word. I can get away with that one. Yes, you can. (laughs) And the third, I'd say strong. Nice. So for you personally, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that my my daughters um, will not have more opportunity than I've had. Uh, We're in an age where young women are at the right stage to be all they can be. And I see the clock turning back Mm. in some instances. Mm. And that drives me to push hard to make sure that doors remain open Opportunities remain open. Choices remain open for young emerging women. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Okay. I know you sit on so many boards. I couldn't believe it as I was preparing and how many things you do. I'm like, you're like a doppelganger of two people or something. I don't know how you find the time. Um, So if there was a publicly traded company board, is there any that you have your eye on or ones that you would want to serve on? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, there are several, but I, rather than naming one, I'll give you the characteristics. Awesome. I, I'd say uh, Fortune 500, mission focused with community in mind, very socially oriented and a leader on all things social impact. Um, 
a company that really cares about the future of our world and their investment in their products and their customers reflect that. I love it. And then, you know, to boot, one that's, um, since I have such great uh, innovation skills, being a patent attorney and an engineer and having worked in, uh, in those fields for a long time, someone who would really value um, that skill set. And yeah. I could really leave my handprint on the company and help shape it into what it will be for the future. Well, I'm sure that you would have so many opportunities. I'm thinking of companies and I can't even imagine your list. And I'm sure you're on a million lists also. Um, okay, so if you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Doing absolutely nothing. I don't know if and you could. Could you well, do it? I don't, you're right. Uh, my days are quite packed. But what I find is when I really make space for quiet time, that's where my best ideas and I unlock sides of myself um, that are really needed to mm -hmm. make the next steps in the things that I'm working on for the YMCA of Greater Seattle or uh, some of the community work that I'm doing. It's having that quiet space where my yeah. brain can just open up and yield, you know, some great ideas. Yeah. I get it. When you're like type A kind of driver, like you and I are, it's hard to create that space. So that's awesome. Okay. But I own my type <laughs> A-ness just like you. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is what it, it is. What it, it is. is. What, it, what was the first concert that you ever attended? Oh, wow. First concert. Um, I actually don't remember the first, but I remember an early concert. Or your favorite concert. Hmm. So one of my favorites would be definitely Stevie Wonder. I saw Stevie Wonder at the um, Garden State Art Center in New Jersey when I lived there years ago. And I just remember just the talent, um, the commitment, the conviction to his craft. And he was funny. <laughs> he's he's yeah, incredible. He was, I've seen yeah, him also. He's, yeah. he's incredible. And yeah, he's so talented. And then Steve. number two would be Lauren Hill. But my favorite, the concert that I'm, I'm most anxious to go to is Bruno Mars. So talented, incredible um, energy, great dancer. Yeah, great yeah. musician. Yeah. Um, okay, if there was a book that was written about your life, what would it be called? Uh, mm. Mm. <laughs> I would say... Mm, Dirt road to having it all. Oh, the road, the road, dirt road. road. And I, I am this person who believes that I can have it all. Being a mom, being a career person. I think you do have it all. And I do. I, that's do. my point. And yeah. as, as much as people say women can't have it all, they need to compromise. I'm not a proponent of that. And you, and you the can same. get there. You can get there from anywhere, even a dirt yeah. road. Yeah. So that would be the title of my book. I would read it. <laughs> if you could be a famous author, athlete, musician, or actor, which one would you choose? Athlete. What sport? Gymnast. Oh, were you Until a gymnast growing 10, up? I was never a gymnast, but boy, did I admire 
those uh, women who could make those flips and do all sorts of things with their bodies. Yeah. Um, I would do flips in my front yard um, growing up in this rural space um, in Virginia, but I actually swore that I could be a gymnast. I don't know yeah. why. Um, what's your favorite movie genre? I'd say nonfiction. I, I watched, uh, there's a movie, oh gee, I'm skipping the name of it. Um, it was about a gentleman who's growing up, he had cerebral palsy and he wanted to wrestle and it was based on an actual um, oh, real story. I saw this. And it was, I love movies like that. So tell me about, so you grew up in Cambridge, um, Virginia, yes. the, rur the rural South. How was that upbringing? You're one of four kids, right? One of four. That's and where right. are you in the whole birth order? So I was a middle kid for a long, long time. Uh, my brother is 14 years younger. So by the time he came along as the youngest, I had already established my position as a true middle child. <laughs> so yeah, four of us. Um, yes, a real dirt road. It's still a dirt road. When I go back to visit and, and see our old um, home place, um, yeah, it was, it was a rich experience. I didn't know how poor we were. Um, my parents invested everything in us that they could. My, my dad had an eighth grade education. Um, my mom got her nursing degree after I got my, uh, my law degree. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, just very committed to ensuring that their kids had every opportunity. I never remember either of my parents reading to me um, or asking me to do my homework, but I remember their work ethic and how they yeah. poured themselves into everything. That's amazing. And, it just, and are your siblings yeah. similar to you? Like, where did the drive come from? I oh, think of you as being uh, so driven. Like, is that, and as a parent, you're like, that's not something we can necessarily teach. It's like sometimes yeah. some of it is this whole nature versus nurture thing. I think it's innate for the kids in our family. Uh, my older sister is a CPA. Um, my youngest sister is a mathematician. She's an IBMer. And my youngest brother is working on his PhD in education right now. Oh my gosh. Um, and I point to my parents. Again, they didn't have it. They didn't emphasize it. I mean, I don't even remember my parents um, reviewing my college applications, but I do know that all four of their kids, even with our um, pretty humble beginnings, uh, we weren't the, the richest family on the block, but you know, all of us came out of college debt-free. And oh my that was gosh. the biggest gift that our parents could have given us. And my, my dad passed away um, after I graduated and my mom had two more kids uh, to put through college and she did it. And still um, my two younger siblings came out of college debt-free. My parents were really focused on that to giving us the best chance to be all that we could be. So did you experience, you know, teachers who gave you the message that you could go on to do great things? You know, I did, but I also had teachers who um, who reminded me uh, that young Black kids like me in rural Virginia weren't supposed to accomplish very much. And I had um, a, a combination, I'd say. Those who really 
um, they weren't, some of my teachers weren't very kind. I remember a guidance counselor, I went in for my senior year to talk about college and other things. And she said to me, you know, maybe you should think about maybe going to a junior college, a two-year college, what? studying liberal arts, maybe. Why? Um, like, but I was, valedictorian of, I was the valedictorian of my high school class. And I had taken every science, every mathematics class um, by, I, by the time I completed my junior year. But this was her recommended path for me. That's just straight up ridiculous it racism. Is. That's but, insane. But, um, you know, at the same time, I remember after that meeting, I went into my, to visit with uh, one of my teachers. Um, she was the advisor for the National Honor Society. I was the president at the time. And she asked me, how did my counseling session go? And I told her what the counselor had to say. And she literally, I saw her throwing notebooks on the desk and she began to pound the table to say, no, absolutely not. You will go to a four-year university. You will go to a four-year university. And you know what? You will study engineering. That's what you're gonna do. You will go to engineering school. And I said, okay. <laughs> it's okay. whatever you say. She was so emphatic. Wow. What were, you, what were you kind of um, driven by or fueled by at that stage of your life in high school? Yeah. Oh, boy, I was, I was one of those overachievers. And I attribute it to the fact there weren't a lot of things to do in my small town. And a lot of the kids in my community were not into very productive things. And I was pretty much uh, a loner, aside from just a few friends here and there. And I kept myself busy just by throwing myself into my work. And uh, what else could I accomplish? What else could I do? It kept me focused and uh, not feeling that I missed being with the, running with the crowd. Um, yeah. And so I think that that drove me in a lot of ways. I had an older sibling who was also very driven and I always wanted to uh, do what she did or outdo her. Yeah. I think that was a motivator. Right. I, I do have it written on my notes. I've just got a few core kind of themes here that I'm seeing and I have them like bold highlights overachiever because I'm seeing this theme. I mean, even just saying I was valedictorian and president of National Honor Society, like it's from a young age, it's so innate for you. And then to go on, not just to get an undergraduate, you know, bachelor's in electrical engineering from University of Virginia, great school. Then you also got a master's in electrical engineering and then went to law school. Like, who are you? It's crazy. Loria, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, I reflect on that now. I celebrate it on some level, but it also causes me to see other kids. Why are they so driven? Um, what are they trying to um, turn their attentions away from? And for me, it really was not wanting to be caught up in bad things. I mean, there were kids, of course, there were kids doing drugs. Uh, there were kids who would hang out and get into bad things. And I never wanted to be part of that. Um, and just being alone um, is not a good thing for a kid. And so right. I really just threw myself into the work where I felt productive, where I felt that I was honoring um, the sacrifices that my parents were making. 
Right. And, and I always felt that there was something more that I was supposed to do. Never really knew what that was, but something in me said that there's something I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I think that drove me. I, I would say uh, to parents, look out for your kids who are that driven. Um, so while I'm glad that I had those opportunities to get into other things, I would caution parents because I wouldn't want my kids to be um, overachievers. Uh, there's a balance. There has to be a balance. Well, it seems like it's also changed from when you and I were children. It now feels like such a pressure cooker. And because yeah. of, we were just talking before we got on about mental health and how you know May was Mental Health Month. And half the kids, half the parents I talked to have their kids, you know, having um, challenges around anxiety and depression and the suicide rates are up. And all of it, I think, is because of this overachieving society of like more, more, more. But yours doesn't sound like it was um, for the wrong reasons. It sounds like there was some sort of deeper belief in yourself that you wanted more, not that you were afraid that you would get like in trouble if you didn't achieve. You know, there wasn't that. Helicopter no, I, I actually think there was a little bit of it. I mean, I did, I was so um, convicted to not be involved in these bad things. And it's, it's tempting to want to go with the crowd, to be where your friends are, others who are like you, you want to fit in. And when you make that choice that you don't just want to fit in, mm-hmm. um, it can be a very lonely space. Right. And what was the community like? Was it a mixed Community, it was very mixed. racially, racially mixed, uh, half and half. Um, but it was very divided. It was basically two communities mm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Everyone was cordial and all those nice things. There's some wonderful people uh, from my hometown. My mom still lives there. Wow. Um, but for for those kids who are making that choice to not be afraid to not run with the crowd, to be their own person mm-hmm. and uh, to be supported uh, in that space is really important. Yes. So how would you describe your, um, I guess your identity? What do you lead with? I'm a community builder. I'm an advocate and proponent for Um, all things equity and justice. I'm a mom who wants better for her kids. I'm a wife who's blessed with a wonderful husband. Um, And I'm one of those people who've been put on this planet to help people. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because your whole career in the beginning was like, you know, a spin out from your uh, degrees in electrical engineering and then your law degree, which is an interesting pivot, I guess is the right word. Um, And these themes about being kind of an operator and being in these companies that are hard driving. Do you feel like um, your job as CEO in YMCA is like finally like where you're supposed to be and meant to be? Because all these things probably prepared you to be a kick-ass leader in any area, any sector, any industry. Um, but this feels like when I found out that you had this job, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not only is she so perfect for the job, but it's so perfect for her. Yeah, yeah. I have come home to where I'm supposed to be, for sure. But in retrospect, I mean, looking back, I see how 
everything I've done has prepared me for now. Yeah. And if I, I did have a question mark in coming to the why, you know, how do you bring, I mean, having led international teams set up businesses globally, uh, having generated billions of dollars a year, <laughs> large teams, yeah. having done all those things. Now the why, now the YMCA, how does all this fit together? If I had a question at all, those questions were answered during the pandemic because my instincts as a leader, all that I've learned was brought to bear and to help the why through, I'd say, one of its toughest periods in history. So I was very grateful. It became enormously clear to me why now and why the why. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I also got really clear on all of those lessons that I learned years ago. And I'm so glad I didn't dismiss them. Um, and I know sometimes it's hard when you get these tough lessons because you, you ask yourself, how am I ever going to use this? Well, that question was answered last year oh, I'm <laughs> because sure. I had to use it all. I, I want to hear, hear all about it. I'm super yeah. interested in how I was thinking about your business this past year and how it's been impacted. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into that, I do want to hear about a little bit more about the journey. So when you graduated, like, what was your first job out of school? So um, right out of college, I went into the telecom industry. I worked for Bell Communications Research as a fiber optics engineer. And I did some research and um, I did some field work, a combination of things using my engineering skills. And during that time is when I also uh, went back for a year to get my master's degree. And the company I was working for, I was so fortunate, they paid for it. So it was, it was just a great time to go deeper in my engineering uh, career. And so I worked for Bell Communications Research, Bell Corps, and uh, was about to go back to get a PhD in electrical engineering. And I had an offer in my hands and just realized, I don't think that it's going deeper in engineering. I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. And I rejected it. People told me I was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it was a full free ride with a salary that was paying more than my engineering salary at the time. But I really felt that I was being called to do something more. And it was about maybe three, four months later, the same company announced a program where they would send two engineers to school at night to become patent attorneys. Oh my God. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for that program to go to school at night um, and uh, to work by day towards becoming a patent attorney. And that's, that's how it happened. That's incredible. Was that a good choice for you? Or are you, oh, you fantastic yeah. choice. My law degree is probably the degree that I appreciate the most. Yeah. It really rounded me out, gave right. me a different lens on looking at the world on everything. Yeah. Um, and it really helped me to stay broad in how I think about life. So um, being a patent attorney, applying technology, uh, a lot of different technologies in a lot of different spaces, it was just great, especially given my, um, my analytical focus uh, and my love for technology. Yeah. It's a great space for me. Awesome. And you did talk about a little bit about these um, leadership principles and all the things that helped prepare you for this role. What are some of those lessons that you've learned throughout your career? Yeah. 
So the biggest one <laughs> for me during the pandemic was to see opportunity even in crisis. And uh, out of that, you know, the Y did some pretty fantastic things, even while we're trying to survive in the midst of crisis. And it was because uh, I kept that at the fore. I mean, we actually signed a purchase sale agreement to buy 2000 acres to start our first new camp in a hundred years um, during the pandemic. And we're gonna close on it, hopefully in another few weeks. And we also completed an acquisition of a uh, mental and behavioral health nonprofit in Auburn to help that service remain in the Auburn community. We completed that last July. We also, um, we increased the number of beds for homeless youth by 30%. Wow. Even, when, even though our revenue had was significantly cut, we were closed down, <laughs> we were still able to grow. And it was because of that opportunity mindedness uh, that I think uh, I acquired uh, from my manufacturing days, having gone through so many, many pandemics of sorts um, um, in my prior life. Yeah. So yeah, all of that brought to bear uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're, are, are you more kind of, when you're making these decisions in life or in business, are you more um, kind of gut or data or a combo? Combo for sure, but definitely gut. Yeah, because you um, have made some interesting um, career and life choices that have all been incredible. I mean, from where I sit, and we all have, of course, things that we not necessarily regret, but are opportunities where a door closed, but maybe a window opened. Yes. Um, so I'm curious when you are considering or making choices on either companies or boards, um, what attributes are most important? As, is, are you looking at the product, the service, the culture, the combo? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of instinct, uh, which should be always grounded in data, but the data is in the whole story. And I have a pretty strong gut that sometimes yells even um, when the data suggests going in one direction, if my gut is unsettled, I get more data and I have more conversations with people whose opinions I trust mm -hmm. to help me figure out what is it that my gut is trying to tell me. Um, and um, it's not always easy for others to see. Um, my gut tends to tell me not just what's in front of me, but what's down the road and around the corner. And I've learned to trust it and lead from that space. 99% um, of the time, my gut is right. But wow. um, my gut is also shaped though by data too. I mean, they, you cannot ignore data. Yeah. Well, now that we have access to it, it's almost like irresponsible to not, it is. To not take it in. Yeah. And so are there, is there a process though, or is it that you go through? And when you say that you go to your trusted advisors, is that a kind of formalized group of people or it just depends on what type of decision? I have a big kitchen cabinet of <laughs> people. And all, it's not the same people. Um, but it's um, it's people who are in my extended circle who I believe might have something that mm -hmm. might um, inform my decision making or might be helpful to broaden my thinking or 
who might give me another lens to look through uh, to assess a situation. Sometimes right. I think my gut, my gut tells me, you don't know enough yet. So put the brakes on Slow and it just down. ask more questions. Yeah. And <laughs> not necessarily you, get more data, but just hear from more people right. to make sure that I'm looking at the situation broadly enough. That makes sense. And as a community leader, I'm sure that you serve as this person for so many people. Are you a formal mentor for people um, or is it informal where you just know that you, because I know that you've been a great um, leader, not just in the community, but advocate for women and people of color. And so are there people that you're officially mentoring? I think some would say (laughs) yes. I mean, there are people that I check in on. You know, I've learned that um, when I was ready, a teacher appeared. And so I'm the teacher for some people and I'm supposed to be there to help other people take the next step in their journey. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my gut just says, you need to call this person, (laughs) check in on them. It's because maybe there's something that I have that they might need. I intuit that sometimes and I will check in. Um, But I I tend to be open. Um, I tend to open my my calendar. time on weekends to just have conversations with people. Uh, I'm part of a women's group and we advise each other just to have conversations. And that's awfully rich. There's there's a lot of- I'm sure. Those are always the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I make that a priority to go into those spaces so that Mm -hmm. I can learn, but also so that I can benefit someone else. I mean, you give, you get, but you also give. The reciprocity of it is what makes it special. Yeah. And are there, were there moments in your career where doors closed or promotions weren't given um, and lessons um, have been taken from those experiences? Yeah. Yeah. No, doors, doors have closed in different ways. Uh, I'll give you one example. Um, When I was planning to go to engineering school, I really wanted to go to Virginia Tech. I hope my UVA friends aren't listening, <laughs> but I applied early at mid to go to Virginia Tech and I got in and I was over the moon. Um, my parents, because my older sister was going to University of Virginia, my parents said, we really think you guys should go to the same school together. It'd be better. You could support each other. And I was, oh, I was bummed by that because I had my sights set on going to Virginia Tech. Um, and it really pained me to have to pull out um, from Georgia Tech, but I'm, I'm sorry, from Virginia Tech. And, um, but then I went to University of Virginia and I can't imagine having gone anywhere else uh, to engineering school. Yeah. Best grounding, best rela- relationships today uh, that I've ever had in my life. So I, I think sometimes you trust the universe. I was about to say, I love you yes. so much, Laurie. I was like, she's a, she's <laughs> you a, have to trust a the very, universe. you got to trust in the universe. I totally believe that. Yeah. And totally to believe that. See the opportunity in whatever is happening. And, you know, there have been times that, yeah, there's been rejection. There are times I've applied uh, for some opportunities and they didn't come through. And then you ask yourself, why, what do I right. learn from this? Right. Uh, and what do I, what do I trust in this moment? 
Is it that the next opportunity is ahead of me, a better opportunity is ahead of me? Um, or is it that I'm supposed to stay where I am? You, it gives you the opportunity to ask those questions of yourself. Yeah. And yeah. that's probably the best outcome in failure is the self-assessment. So if you can take the lessons, if you can take the lessons in the moment, it will propel you to where you're supposed to be, where you're supposed yeah. to go, what you're supposed to accomplish. Well, speaking of supposed to be, like, how did you even end up in Seattle? Is that from Intellectual Ventures? Oh, it is from Intellectual Ventures. I yeah. was um, I was the CEO of Honeywell's uh, intellectual property company based in Phoenix, Arizona. I'd been there for six years and Intellectual Ventures called and they called. <laughs> And they called and I wasn't really responding. And then one day I decided to respond. They invited me to come up for a visit and I did. And the night after the visit, I stayed up all night long. I just could not sleep. My mind was blown at what they were um, trying to do. And I felt like I really needed to be part of it. And so the family moved from Arizona to uh, to we live on Mercer Island now, so we've yeah. been here since 2009. How did the girls take that news? Because it is very different Arizona to Seattle. Oh yes, <laughs> it was difficult um, in the beginning. We actually took the girls to Olive Garden to break the news <laughs> that we were moving, and before the meal arrived, we had to leave the restaurant because our girls literally stretched out <laughs> in the floor. They were. Protesting. Uh, they were little and crying. Oh man, they were not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Seattle's, Seattle's beautiful. But one of the things that I'm aware of having left and then come back is Seattle's lack of diversity. Mm. And so how's, how is that for you? And how does that, um, you know, I can't um, understand what that feels like as far as the diversity that's that I don't experience, you know, I don't experience it in the same way as you. Yeah, um, yeah. How is so, that here and how do you make sure that you are a positive um, role model in that way? Yeah. First, let me go back to Arizona because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of diversity there. Either. Yeah. We lived in Ahwatukee, which is kind of the Scottsdale of Phoenix is the way it's described. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of diversity. And by the way, um, we moved here. And I made the promise to my older daughter that if she wanted to move back for her senior year and high school in Arizona, that I would personally move back with her. Um, and this is how we convinced the kids to come to Arizona. <laughs> and then you just cross your fingers. <laughs> and cross my, And when we got to the senior year, I said to her, I said, so mom made a promise. What do you want to do? She says, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she said, I cannot think of having gone to high school anywhere else. This is where I'm supposed to be, mom. So it does all work out in the end. Yes. But yes, there is a lack of diversity, especially on Mercer Island. Um, there are ways that we still remain very connected. There are organizations like Jack and Jill of America um, that I've been a part of since I moved here. And we make a point of um, connecting ourselves with other communities uh, so that our kids have that exposure to more kids who look like them. Exactly. Um, more kids who are um, on a similar path, you know, academically and um, have shared values. And there are 
and they're everywhere, but it's harder yeah. in the Seattle area to connect with folks. So you have to be intentional about it. Um, but we have connected with uh, communities of people of color and uh, it's been great for us. But I'd love to have more people yeah, here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly- I like, crave it. I'm always- coming. Yeah. Yeah. When I see someone else coming, I reach out and I say, hey, I see yeah. that you're moving to Seattle. I just wanted you to know I'm here, whatever I can do, you know, to uh, help you get connected. I'm happy to do it because that's, that's what it takes. Yeah. Uh, not only to uh, attract people to Seattle, but to uh, encourage them to stay, to have them make this home. We have to yeah. do it for each other. How do you balance it all? I'm slightly like fascinated by the whole idea of it and how because I'm assuming we're the same, we're just like love children kind of, like how we just kind of level the playing field on this conversation and just make it, like we're all in the same boat trying to give our kids the best possible opportunities, but also um, exposing them as much as possible to people who are like them so that they can feel that connection to our heritage, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like them, not like them. Yeah. Finding commonality, being open to everyone. Um, those are the key um, aspects of, you know, that adjustment and that and building those connections. Yeah, I think so. So your your YMC, I think, because we haven't actually gotten a catch a catch up moment since you accepted this role. I'm curious how it came to you. It, it came to you, or you went to it? Well, I got a call uh, <laughs> uh, indicating that the. Uh, Y was looking for its next leader and asked me if I might be interested in coming into the search. And um, I, growing up in Cambridge, Virginia, there was no YMCA. And I had not been a traditional Y kid. So I didn't know as much as, um, as I would have liked to have known about the YMCA of Seattle. We were members of the Y and part of the Y in Arizona. So I knew that it was generally a great outreach organization, but I decided to go out for a half day with the past board chair um, and mind blown. It was similar to the experience that I talked about with uh, Intellectual Venture. I could not sleep the night following. It was the same thing with the why. I just thought, oh my God, what on earth could um, we accomplish with me bringing to the table my leadership and my commitment to community. And I didn't know if I uh, uh, would be selected, but I felt I needed to put my hat in the ring. I felt like there was something that I could offer that would benefit community. And I needed to uh, put my hat in the ring and, and see what happened. And I did, and here we are. And here we are. And so you went in not knowing as much because you said you didn't grow up as a Y kid. Um, yeah. What have you learned? Like, well, tell us all that we need to know about. Obviously, we, we could do that as a whole other podcast, but I'm curious about the core tenants as far as the programming. Yeah. Who are the Y kids and how can we help? Mm-hmm. Well, the YMCA of Greater Seattle is a 145-year-old organization. And you find generations of YMCA members and participants. I mean, we have kids in our childcare center and they're dropped off by grandparents who were, who were kids in our childcare centers. I mean, I'm talking about deep 
legacy, deep history among people who've been uh, served by the Y and contributed to on, you know, on multiple levels, the YMCA. So, you know, what I didn't understand, I mean, everybody knows about the Y membership model, you can go work out, you can go swimming, you can learn how to swim, but not many people appreciate uh, the depth of the services that's provided, especially on the social impact side. Um, the Y is the biggest provider of housing and wraparound services for using young adults who are homeless in uh, our region. Uh, we also are a foster uh, family licensing agency. Um, and so we are recruiting families all the time um, our pipeline is so anemic for foster families, and there's so many kids who are waiting for their, for their um, short-term and forever home. Um, and some of the kids that we house uh, include kids who age out of foster care. And so um, on the social impact side, there's a lot that the Y does. Mental health, behavioral health services, uh, that's a big part of the work that we do. Uh, not just for kids, um, but for teens, for families, for adults. And that's an area that we've really grown in during the pandemic. We also offer the 211 program uh, for our county, uh, where if there is a family in distress because a youth um, is having issues, um, a family can call 211 and it, within two hours, somebody from the Y will show up at your door. Uh, to provide support uh, for the youth and for um, the entire family. And our goal is to help that kid stay stably housed with their family and provide the vital services that they need. And of course we have, I talked about camp, but that's a big part of our mission because you know, nature and the outdoors for youth and families, um, the outcomes are just um, over the top. And we don't have enough of it for all the kids who really need it the most, which is mm -hmm. why we're so excited about starting this new camp uh, down south. And then we have uh, pre-pandemic about 70 child care centers. Uh, we're one of the biggest child care providers uh, in the state. And we're really proud of that because we know that um, all things start with education. And if we can help young people be kindergarten ready, and to um, stay on track with their education, we can cut off a lot of those very detrimental outcomes uh, for kids. So that's a big, big part of our mission. So I've just begun to scratch wow. the surface. Wow. All of those things are part and of the why. And, and right now, by the way, if you haven't been vaccinated, you can go to the why uh, to get vaccinated because we host um, vaccination uh, centers at our branches, we're there for whatever the community needs. It's incredible. And so how are you, how many branches are there? There are 14 branches and they extend from um, our North Shore branch, um, which is uh, up north on the east side, Shoreline, our um, Dale Turner branch uh, up north, all the way down to Auburn. Mm. We have a branch and as far east as Snoqualmie. Interesting. And then tell me about the fundraising and are there formal programs or events around yeah, it? Yeah, we have our annual fund drive, but we fundraise all year long, especially during the pandemic. The need is so significant. 
Mm -hmm. Um, The needs, even now, there are significant needs as people look toward recovery, but we don't really have the infrastructure yet in place for everyone to recover and people need some additional helps and everything is different than it was uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, we look to community to walk alongside of us. And, you know, the other big part of the why is the equity and justice focus that we bring to everything we do, everywhere we do it. And we have doubled down and put both feet in our mission statement and our equity statement uh, during the pandemic, Um, the dual pandemics, I should say, Mm. COVID-19 and systemic racism. Yeah. Yeah. All hitting at once. <laughs> All hitting at once. And we saw yeah, the was a lot. Yeah. Um, because of the inequities, for example, um, in as it relates to chronic disease and things like that, um, the Y has really um, taken a bigger stance uh, so that we can cut off a lot of those um, disparate impacts going forward. Mm-hmm. And so for a family, it costs like 150 a month, right? Yes. But, and I'm glad you're asking this question because a lot of people who don't know the why um, don't recognize that the why has a sliding scale, meaning Mm -hmm. that anybody and everybody can afford to be a member of the why. It's income-based and we find a solution for everybody. What we care about is everybody being able to take care of their health, their whole person health, physical and mental. And it starts with these services that we provide at the Y from diabetes prevention, lose to win, which is um, uh, helping people adopt healthy lifestyles Mm. uh, so they can uh, physically be well. And we offer those mental health services, um, cooking classes, all of those incredible. Why? You've made such an impact already. What is your kind of long-term vision and goal? Like, what do you hope to accomplish if we talk, we're talking five years from now, like look, a look back. Yeah. So I'm so glad you asked that because uh, my leadership team, we're in the midst of developing our strategic operating framework to breathe life into our vision statement out 2025 and beyond. And some of the big things that we are beginning to anchor around is this concept of whole person health um, uh, with a trauma-informed component, equity and justice at its core, focused on marginalized communities, including uh, BIPOC uh, community. That's where we know we need to go deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't ever want to find ourselves in a place where we have programming that could help reduce chronic disease. And then to find that people die in a pandemic like a COVID-19 mm. like COVID because of a, they are exposed to chronic disease. So we want to do something preemptively, proactively to help everyone take care of their health mm-hmm. um, so that they're, they're healthy, they're strong, they have a better quality of life. We also want to, as part of that, to be in a position where your zip code doesn't dictate your life expectancy. And we know right now there is an 18 year differential between Auburn and Bellevue, mm-hmm. just based on where you live, your life expectancy. Doesn't that have to link, it's not linked, that's such a deeper, bigger conversation. It is. Isn't it around everything that that, 
everything that that encompasses from access to healthy food to access to, you know, better schooling, all of it. All of it. It's all of it. Right. And so what are those interventions that the Y can offer Mm. um, to enable everyone Mm -hmm. uh, to have um, a healthy quality of life and to uh, achieve their full potential? Yeah. And so the keeping you up at night thing that's like, how do I accomplish this? Is this a, a marketing? I mean, from an exposure perspective, like how do I make sure that anyone who could be in our target demographic, you've, I think you're serving over 260,000. So it's like, but how do they, how do they know if they don't know? Is that a marketing thing or is that partnerships? Yes. And to know that they know the why is here, but to know that the why is a place for them to feel Mm -hmm. and be welcomed and to belong Mm -hmm. and to take care of their health. That's the key message is that next piece (laughs) to know that that there is something for them and that we would welcome them with open arms to join us as they take care of their health and to share the word uh, because it's important for all of us to do this and to do it for each other's sake. Yeah, you are so the perfect person to be leading the charge here. I know you're going to accomplish all sorts of things and beyond and continue to be such an incredible community builder and leader. Um, I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. My final question is, what fuels you? The hope and possibility of tomorrow for our children. We have such a big vision and mission And in order to fulfill it, we need people to walk alongside of us. And so I would invite those who are, um, who have a similar mindset of helping community, join us, walk with us, invest in us, because we have the programming, we have the plan. Uh, We just need more support and we need more volunteers. We need more people to walk alongside of us. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.